Today honors Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we call it Palm Sunday uh, because of the palm branches thrown on the ground in Jesus' path to honor him as king. Now, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem for the first, last time after a long journey from Galilee, uh, with his journey seemingly ending uh, on the cross at the end of the week, but we know different uh, because of Jesus' resurrection on Sunday would prove otherwise. Uh, this morning, I'm going to take us on a journey uh, with Jesus as he leaves Galilee and, and heads south to Jerusalem. And just like Jesus, along the journey, we're going to stop in, in a few places, thank you, and, and, and talk about God's kingdom. And just like Jesus, the journey will take us uh, to Jerusalem, but ultimately, we're going to end up at the cross this morning as well. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself uh, through your word to us, Lord. And we thank you for this encouraging uh, story, uh, which we know to be true, Lord. Uh, let us uh, learn from it. Let us grow in our faith this morning. And we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll, we'll be in the Gospel of Luke uh, most of the time this morning. Luke uses... Uh, Jesus' journey from Galilee to, uh, south to Jerusalem to structure the middle part of his, his gospel, roughly from chapters 9 through 19. And, and don't worry, I'm not reading chapters 9 through 19. So it, it's in chapter 9 that Luke, um, just before Jesus begins his journey uh, to, to Jerusalem, that Jesus shares with his disciples for the first time uh, that his role as the Messiah, as the Christ, will involve suffering and death. In Luke 9.22, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, the Son of Man, uh, which is Jesus' self-title, he liked to call himself that, and it came uh, from Daniel's prophecy, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, Jesus said this right after Peter, representing the disciples, uh, confessed Jesus as Christ of God in verse 20. So this confession shows that the disciples clearly understood that Jesus was more than a prophet, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, and they would have known what Jesus was talking about uh, when Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. What the disciples didn't understand uh, as uh, we all know, at the time, was the way in which Jesus would fulfill uh, his role as Messiah, which, of course, we'll get to later. So chapter 9 also includes the transfiguration of Jesus, where Jesus is seen speaking with Moses and, and Elijah, uh, representing the law and the prophets, and, and where, where God declares Jesus, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. So that's what God said. And then Luke says that three men, the three men, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, they were speaking of Jesus' departure, uh, which was about to be accomplished in Jerusalem. So by departure, they meant uh, before, they meant Jesus' future death, resurrection, and, and ascension, all of which would take place in Jerusalem. Now Luke tells us eight times that Jesus told his disciples that uh, what would take place in Jerusalem. And, and he did that to warn them, uh, to prepare them for what was ahead. 
Yet even as Jesus was preparing uh, his disciples for what's ahead, uh, for the cross, Luke wants to highlight the determination of Jesus uh, to go to the cross himself. Which leads us to the end of chapter 9, where Luke begins his journey theme uh, by writing in verse 51, where he says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Uh, the NIV puts it like this, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And I looked at the original Greek because I wanted to know why one said his face and one said resolutely. Well, the Greek combines the two. It says Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So the Greek puts much greater emphasis on the determination of Jesus to accomplish his mission, even if the mission included the agony of crucifixion. So determination marked Jesus' whole life. I mean, we can hear it in his own words when he said, I must be about my father's business when he was 12. And then he said, I must be baptized by John. And he said, the Son of Man must be delivered up to death and resurrection. And then again, he said, my food and drink is to do the Father's will and to drink the cup of his wrath. So let, let's pick up the journey theme again in chapter 13, verse 22, when he writes... Luke writes, and he, Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages teaching and journeying to Jerusalem. Luke informs us that Jesus continued to teach on his journey to Jerusalem. Now it was during this time that Jesus asked, Jesus was asked, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Or Lord, will only a few people be saved? Now, we don't know why Jesus was asked this question, but Jesus' answer shows that he's not concerned about numbers. His response is basically, the question is not how many will be saved, but whether or not you will be saved. That's his response. He replied to the questioner with a parable in the hearing of the others that were around him. And he began the parable by saying, strive to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. Now Jesus is saying is that there will be a time when it is too late to enter God's kingdom. And he explains with a parable that pictures God, God's kingdom as a great feast with the patriarchs and prophets such as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob they're honored guests at this feast. And many of the people who were invited, well, they waited too long. They waited too long to respond. And when they arrived at the banquet hall, it was too late. The doors uh, were already shut. And they were already shut forever. So the parable, its focus was mostly on the Jews at the time, but has a lot of application for us in our time. So the question is, why did the people wait so long? Well, the parable suggests a number of reasons. Uh, first, Jesus points out that salvation isn't easy. He says the sinner must walk through a narrow door and walk a narrow path. In other words, the wide path, the easy path, is, is the walk, to walk the way of the world. 
The scripture says in uh, 1 John chapter 2, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. That's what the world has to offer. These, John says, are not from the Father, but are from this world. And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. That's from the New Living Translation. So maybe the world, as John describes, is telling some of you this morning that you don't need Jesus. You're healthy, you have a good job, you have a nice home, you love your spouse and your children, you go on vacation twice a year, and you might even take your in-laws along, but you already have everything you need. And these are all the things that the world says are necessary to be happy. You don't really need Jesus if you have all these things. But Jesus himself said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Another reason people think they have time to wait is their false sense of security. There are plenty of Jews following Jesus and marveling at his miracles, enjoying his fellowship, and even hailing Jesus as king. He was, he was the man. He, he was, um, they, they were part of the Jesus fan club. and they, they were going around saying, I follow Jesus. But not many actually placed their trust in Him. And how many in our time claim to follow Jesus and marvel at His miracles? They come to church week after week enjoying fellowship with other followers. They even get involved with ministry. Yet never actually place their trust in Him. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is saying that there's such a thing as a false disciple. His point is even people who do good and honorable things in his name can do so without trusting him as their Lord and Savior. Another reason the parable suggests people delayed in going to the banquet until it was too late and the door was shut is pride. Many Jews of Jesus' time thought it unthinkable that the Messiah would deliver the Gentiles also. The Jews were God's chosen people. The Messiah came through them. They were to be first. Yet they would not humble themselves before God. It takes humility to admit and confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Before Before you are a man or a woman, before you're American or Mexican or Chinese or or Ethiopian, before you're a Republican or a Democrat or Independent, before anything else you can identify yourself with, you are first a sinner in need of a Savior. And we all suffer from pride 
yet Jesus is ready to forgive. Romans 10.9-10 through 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And perhaps the final reason given by Jesus for people being too late for the banquet and having the doors shut on them is that people were simply unwilling to come. After the parable, Jesus laments over Jerusalem and says to his, his adversaries, he says, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. So there's that determination again. But he continues. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. You were not willing, Jesus says. How many are simply not willing to answer God's call or invitation to this feast? He says those unwilling to come to the feast will be kept out and will experience weeping and gnashing of teeth and the separation from God that we spoke of earlier. All because they were simply unwilling to trust in Christ. Unwilling to believe. And Scripture shows that the longer sinners wait, the harder their hearts become. Hebrews 4, 7 says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, God has told our sinful world plainly and repeatedly, to repent. And to repent means to change your mind from embracing sin and rejection of Christ to rejection of sin and embracing Christ. And those who refuse to repent and turn to Christ in faith will suffer eternal consequences. Hell is a real place. And why would anyone delay repentance? Yet many are willing, I mean unwilling as Jesus says, but there's a reason not to delay repentance because the, the Bible's command to repent is accompanied by an urgent appeal to do it now. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, uh, quoting Isaiah 49, he says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Repentance should take place as soon as God the Holy Spirit convicts of our sins. In other words, today is the day of salvation. If one of you in here this morning has been unwilling and, and you sense the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, convicting you, hear these words from Scripture. Today, if only you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And, and that's been the message of Jesus all along. While on his journey to Jerusalem, which will end with him accomplishing his mission of salvation, Jesus continually stops and speaks of this salvation that can only come through him with an urgency that today is the day of salvation. And once again, in Luke uh, chapter 18 31, Jesus says to his disciples about his journey. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets 
about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. And Mark's version says that as they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, Jesus was walking ahead of them. Now, what a picture of determination that is. Jesus is walking ahead, leading the way. The shepherd leading the sheep, purposeful, resolute, his face set. And then Jesus said, referring to himself, he said, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Yet Jesus was determined. And then Luke adds, has this comment to add. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. In other words, the disciples understood the meaning of Jesus' words. They just couldn't fathom that this, this stuff was going to happen to their Messiah. How could Jesus being killed possibly fit into God's plans for the redemption of Israel? Which brings us to Palm Sunday. Finally, Jesus arrives uh, near to Jerusalem. Luke 19.28 says, After he said these things, which was more teaching, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And going up is literal because Jerusalem was up on a hill. And we know the story. It's one of two events in Jesus' life that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And, and I'm going to tell the story um, trying to incorporate different, the different Gospels. Now, a determined Jesus Christ was on his way to Jerusalem, knowing full well that this trip would end in his sacrificial death uh, for the sins of humanity. He sent two disciples ahead uh, to the village of Bethphage, about a mile away from the city at the foot of Mount Olives. He told them to look for a donkey tied by a house with its unbroken colt next to it. Jesus in instructed the disciples to tell the owners that the, that the Lord has need of it. The men found the donkey, brought it and its colt to Jesus, and placed their cloaks on the colt. And Jesus sat on the young donkey and slowly, humbly made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In his path, people threw cloaks on the ground and put palm branches on the road before him. And others waved palm branches in the air. John's the one who mentions the, the palm branches specifically in his gospel. And large Passover crowds uh, were surrounding Jesus, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Get that from Matthew. And, and the words the crowds were shouting were from the Messianic Psalm 118. John writes that the people also shouted, King of Israel. And by that time, the commotion was spreading uh, throughout the entire city. And many of the Galilean disciples that, that had followed Jesus from Galilee had earlier seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. John 12, 17 says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So undoubtedly they had been spreading the news of this uh, amazing miracle. And then of course the Pharisees 
who were jealous of Jesus and afraid of the Romans, said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And then Jesus answered them. He says, I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. Even creation itself was made to worship this king, the Lord of creation. So I want to point out a few things. When he told the disciples to get the donkey, Jesus referred to himself as the Lord. This is in Matthew, which was, which was a definite proclamation of his divinity. And by riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, Jesus fulfilled an ancient prophecy some 500 years before in Zechariah 9.9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And throwing cloaks in the path of someone was an act of homage and submission. The people were recognizing Jesus as the promised Messiah. The people's their cries of Hosanna came from, as I said, the Psalm 118. Hosanna means save now. But despite all the excitement, despite the crowds honoring Jesus as king, the crowds refused to see Jesus Christ for who he truly was. They placed their personal desires, their personal expectations on him instead. And despite what Jesus had foretold about his mission, the people, even his closest disciples, were looking for a military messiah who would overthrow the Romans and restore Israel's independence and restore their former glory. So instead of welcoming Jesus as their savior from sin, who came to restore peace between God and man, and even man and man, they wanted Jesus to make war and save them from Rome, not caring about their own personal relationship with God. And that's the tragedy of Palm Sunday. Six days later, some of the people who followed Jesus into Jerusalem, hailing him as king and son of David, were shouting, crucify him. The others, even his closest disciples, just simply abandoned Jesus, or they went hiding out of fear. Yet Jesus was as determined as ever. He made it to Jerusalem, and now he will make it to the, the cross. So the question is, who is Jesus for you? Will you trust in who Jesus really is? Now, we don't have time to go over the rest of the events of Holy Week, but Jesus' determination is powerfully expressed the day before the cross on Thursday, the night he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Matthew says that Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, we have to realize that when Jesus prayed this prayer, he wasn't trying to avoid the cross. 
The cross wasn't the cup that Jesus was asking his father to remove. The cup was God's wrath, God's judgment on the sins of mankind, which mankind deserves, but which, which Jesus was to bear for himself for the sake of and instead of his people. And as he prayed, Luke writes, there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Only Jesus could know what was in store for him in Jerusalem as he journeyed from Galilee. Only Jesus could know what was up ahead. The the misunderstanding of the crowds, his betrayal and arrest, the beatings and the humiliation of the trials before the Jewish and then the Roman officials, his abandonment by his disciples, Peter's denial, how much that must have hurt Jesus, carrying the cross before the mocking crowds, and of course being nailed to the cross and hanging there in agonizing pain for as much as six hours. Scripture tells us that every breath was more painful than the one before. But none of that, not the emotional pain of abandonment or ridicule, not the physical pain of torture, none of that could compare to the moment when Jesus bore the entire weight of the sins of mankind, resulting in separation from His Father in heaven, from His beloved Father. Now, I know there's a mystery about that. We don't fully understand what it meant by this separation. But when Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was a real forsakenness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Means He really did. God really did forsake Jesus. Jesus is bearing our sin. He's bearing our judgment. The the judgment was to have God the Father pour out His wrath. And instead of pouring it out on us, He poured it out on Jesus. And the consequences involves some kind of abandonment. That's what wrath means. God gave Jesus up to suffer the, the, the weight of all the sins of all His people and the judgment for those sins. And and we can't begin to understand all that is meant between the Father and the Son. And as I said, there's a mystery to all this. Uh, John Piper says, but to be forsaken by God is the cry of the damned. And He was damned for us. Now think about that for a minute. The Bible is clear that there are two possible destinations for every human soul uh, following physical death, heaven or hell. Only the righteous inherit eternal life in heaven and, only, and the only way to be declared righteous before God is through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The souls of the righteous go directly into the presence of God. And for those who do not receive Jesus Christ as Savior, death means everlasting punishment. And this punishment is described in a number of ways. It's described as a lake of fire 
or outer darkness or a prison. And this place of punishment is eternal. Now hear this. Second Thessalonians says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and, and this is a big and, and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Did you hear that last part? Those who don't know God, those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus will be shut out from the presence of the Lord. The misery of hell will consist of not only physical torture, but the agony of being cut off from the very source of happiness, which is God. God is the source of all good things, James tells us in his first chapter. To be cut off from God is to forfeit all exposure to anything good. It's to be cut off from God himself, his presence. To be separated from God is to be forever shut, shut off from light, from love, from joy, and from peace. Because God is the source of all those good things. So that's the ultimate agony of hell. It's separation from God. And for a brief period of time, again it's a mystery, but for a brief period of time, Jesus experienced just that. When God, because of His perfect holiness, could not look upon Jesus as He bore his, the wrath of the Father. And He did it for us. He did it out of His love for us. So the question is, as we enter this Holy Week, who is Jesus for you? His whole life, his whole short life consisted of a resolute determination to go to the cross for you. So that today could be the day of your salvation. Today could be the day that you hand your life over to Jesus in faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that determination to do the will of your Father. That determination to go to the cross and experience the pain and agony of the cross. Lord, but even more than that, the determination to go to the cross and even suffer separation from you, who you enjoyed fellowship with for all eternity. Lord, but we know that you restored that. And we know that through the work of Jesus, you restore us. And we thank you for that. We look forward to next Friday and next Sunday and hearing more about what you did for us, Lord, through your word. And we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.